Back in February, uh, we started our study on discipleship, and I hope to bring it to a close today, though when I said that to somebody, it was met with incredulity and sarcasm that I have promised to finish things before uh, and never finish. But the title of today's lesson is The Final Word, though nothing prevents us from Final Word Part 2. So we'll see how uh, that goes uh, uh, today. But we started back in in, uh, February... And we did this, this study on discipleship, because we had just, we were in the process of going through a book as a church that taught us what the mission of the church was. Why did God in Christ establish His church on earth? And we saw that the mission of the church is to make disciples. And the book dropped us right there where it told us that's the mission of the church and proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that's what we're here to do is to make disciples, but didn't tell us how. So, and it was fine because that was not the scope of the book. So this series is to help us in the actual practical making of disciples, how we disciple one another. And that's what we've been doing. So what I want to do today is two parts. The smaller parts, review what we've done, and then go back to the very same, the very first passage that we looked at in the series and uh, finish the series with uh, a look at that passage. So what have we studied since February? Well, we saw that every Christian is a disciple, and every disciple is a Christian. They're, they're synonymous words. You don't become one later on. Yes, the moment you place faith in Christ, you are a Christian, and you are a disciple. So a Christian is a disciple who makes disciples. We all, after a very short period in which we are um, uh, learning a little bit about Christ, we become a discipler. So all of us in this room, if you claim faith in Jesus Christ, you're a disciple, but you also should be a disciple of others. And we defined, we defined discipleship as the constant process in which a Christian is helped by the covenant community to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, to the, so that he becomes progressively conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and can in turn disciple others. So discipleship is a process in which we together grow more to be like Jesus Christ in the context of the church. Discipleship cannot happen apart from the context of the church. And core to that is the Sabbath day, is the Sunday, is the corporate worship of the church. Everything in the life of the church flows from that, including discipleship. And discipleship is generally done by the ordinary means of grace. We want want the extraordinary, right? We want to be zapped and become more like Jesus Christ. We want to somehow... Just uh, things happen by leaps and bounds. Uh, we want today to be here and tomorrow to be over here. And yet God appointed the ordinary means of grace. Prayer. The reading of the scripture, but especially the preaching of the word of God. The sacraments and fellowship to be the main means by which he transforms us to be more like Jesus Christ. And as we do that together and as we encourage each other in those things, we grow more and more to be like Jesus Christ. So discipleship and sanctification go hand in hand. Discipleship and becoming more like Christ go hand in hand, and they happen usually incrementally. Like tomorrow, you, you won't be able to notice how much more like Christ you were than today, but if you look two years, three years down the road, you should see that incremental becoming more like Christ as we minister Christ to one another in our lives. We also see, saw that discipleship is the means by which 
God in Christ causes us to persevere to the end. The only way that we're going to get to the end, the only way that we're going to get the resurrection of the body at the coming of Jesus Christ is if we have people in our lives encouraging us to do that. And the book of Hebrews is great to see that. Where time and again, the Holy Spirit through the human author warns us that unless we have people in our lives encouraging us, helping us to see our sin, helping us to go to go more like Jesus Christ, we are not going to get to the end. So this is not a nice thing to do. This is not just an extra thing to do. That's not just a good thing to do. It is an essential thing to do. To have people in your life pointing you to Christ in the context of the church is necessary for you to get to the end. And we saw that discipleship is always centered in the Bible. Remember the Great Commission? Jesus says, all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and doing what? Teaching them to observe whatever I commanded you. What is that? That's the Bible. So discipleship is always centered in the Scriptures. Playing tennis together is great. Golfing together is great. Going out together is great. But that's not discipleship unless it's centered in the Word of God. You're not discipling anyone apart from the Scriptures. doesn't mean that you have to be quoting a verse all the time, but you need to be teaching the Scriptures in order to be discipling. Otherwise, that's just a great time of fellowship, which there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not discipleship. Then we saw that discipleship is multi-generational, which is contrary to the general feel of the evangelical church today where everything is segregated. Discipleship is multi-generational. We saw in Titus 2 where the older women disciple the younger women, the older men disciple the uh, younger men. And we have to have that in the church where generation is discipling generation that we all grow to be like Christ. And then, for the last few weeks, we've, seen, we've been seeing that discipleship happens in the family. The husband disciples and is discipled by his wife. The wife disciples and is discipled by her husband. The parents disciple the children. And in talking about discipling the children, we kind of pulled two, after we actually looked at how that should look like, we, we pulled out two things that are part of discipling children. One was children in corporate worship. How important it is that in the corporate worship of the church, here we call our 11 o'clock service, our one thirty service, that the church worships together. Because the children are learning to be part of the body of Christ, because they are part of the body of Christ. And then we saw that in discipling the children, it's important that we have a Christian philosophy of education. Not a philosophy of Christian education as if there's some other valid philosophy, but a Christian philosophy of education. We saw the importance of training our children in the Lord. That's what we did last Sunday. One thing I didn't mention, and Alex reminded me, is that it's not just enough to send your kids to Christian school is not just enough to homeschool. That's not the ultimate. The ultimate is to train them in Christ. You can send them to Christian school, you can homeschool them, and still not be raising them in Christ. So, uh, ultimately, the Christian philosophy of education is an education that is centered on Christ, which I, what I said last week is that I find it almost impossible to do in a secular setting, a setting where Christ is not allowed in. And that's where we finished last week. So that's where we've gone so far. And now we get to the final word with 36 minutes. So hopefully we're going to be able to do that. Would you turn to Ephesians chapter 4? Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 11 through 16. 
This is a passage we began in the very first study on discipleship back in February, and it's a good passage for us to end the study as well. So Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 11. This is what the word of the Lord says, And he himself, that's talking about Christ, if you look at the previous verses, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of man in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We're going to look at the whole passage at once, and then we're going to break it down to see how we finish our, our uh, study today. I want you to notice that word equip there in the beginning of the passage uh, in verse 12. The shepherd teacher, verse 11, that's the, the pastor teacher is the same person. The shepherd teacher was given to the church to equip her. And the word equip includes the word for bringing to an end, to finish. It's part of that. It's to make complete, to bring to maturity, to equip to, to the point that you can accomplish a task, task for which you were designed. One of the uh, uh, Greek-English lexicons say, that to equip is to make someone completely adequate or sufficient for something. So the pastor teacher, the elders of the church, do that. They equip the saints. They equip the saints for two things. Look again at verse 12. Notice that in verse 12, there are three fours. The word F-O-R. There's three of them. Says that the pastor teacher equips them for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the, the edifying of the body of Christ. Ideally, only the first four should be four. Should read this way that the pastor teacher was given to the church for the equipping of the saints unto the work of the ministry, unto the edifying of the body. The pastors are going to equip the church for two things, unto two things. And these are things that the church would do, not the elders. So everything else that's described in, in chapter 4 here is what the saints together will do, not necessarily what the session will be doing, though as Christians, the elders will be doing those things as well, but not because it's a primary their job as elders, but because it's their job as Christians, like everyone else in the room here, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So, what happens to the teaching, to the preaching of the Word of God? The people of God are equipped for the work of ministry, which is the word ministry, just the word for service, and to build up the body of Christ. And the saints then build up or edify the body of Christ till the body is full, fully mature, as Paul tells us here. 
And maturity in this passage is described as unity of faith and knowledge concerning the Son of God. So as we are discipling one another, we are driving one another into the unity of faith and knowledge concerning the Son, Jesus Christ. It's also described as completeness. It's described as the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's our goal. That's what we are building each other up to be, to do, to, to grow into the stature of the fullness of Christ. And the result of building up the saints... Uh, the, the, the building up the saints are doing is that we put off instability in doctrine. So as, as we do that, as, as we disciple another, as we grow in Christ, we are not tossed to and fro anymore. That's the picture of a ship on, in a storm being thrown about by all the waves and the wind. As we disciple another, as we grow in the stature of Christ, that doesn't happen to us. We are firmly ground, grounded on the word of truth, the word of God. And another result of the building up the saints do is putting on, putting on speaking the truth in love that produces growth in all areas of living. So as we disciple another, as we point each other to Christ, we speak the truth in love, and that speaking the truth in love causes us to grow in every area of living. And this growth is the outworking of every member doing the, the body, every member of the body doing its part. If you read to the passage, you're going to see that it requires everyone doing their part. The body is only healthy. The body is only growing. The body is only being discipled properly if every member is doing their part in speaking the truth in love, in building up the body, in driving each other to the fullness of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, then the whole body grows in love. It doesn't... It, it doesn't work to have one person not doing anything. It doesn't work to, to have one person decide, you know, this is not for me. I'm just going to bring back. That person is like an anchor holding the whole ship behind. That person is the one that, that per, if that's you, you are the one keeping the church from growing in love. And the solution is not for it to, for it to cut the anchor, but to bring the anchor to, so that he or she can be part of that contributing group that is pushing everybody to grow in, in Jesus Christ. Now, how does, how does this equipping happen? I open, from this passage, how does this equipping happen? happen? It's in the passage, so if you kind of look at the Bible and look at those verses there, it might tell you something about how the equipping happen. Well, notice um, the words teacher and the words the word perfect, so which means complete and mature, they will help us answer the how question, how the equipping happens. Well, at the risk of being very obvious, the teachers teach. So part of this growth, part of discipleship happens as the leaders, the elders of the church, teach. So this equipment happens by teaching. And this answer actually leads us to another question. Teaching what? So this is Sunday school. Some, sometimes Sunday school answers work. So teaching what? The Bible. The B-I-B-L-E. Because that's the book for me, right? Yes. And, and, and we can know that for sure. Paul's words for another pastor in Ephesus. So Paul was a pastor in Ephesus. He left. 
Other people became the, the, the pastor there. Apollos was a pastor there. And then Timothy became the pastor in Ephesus. And Paul writes two letters to Timothy while he's a pastor in Ephesus to help him. Tim, Timothy was timid. Timothy struggled with the fear of men. So Paul instructs Timothy. And in, in 2 Timothy 2, 3, verses 16 and 17, Paul says that all Scripture is inspired, is breathed out by God, and is profitable for a bunch of things. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The inspired word of God produces complete, that is mature people, a people of God, or godly people. And these godly people are equipped through the word, by the word, to do every good work, every good deed, every good action. So what is it that what the teacher is supposed to teach in order to equip the body, to disciple another, to grow in the fullness of Christ? The Bible, the Word of God, the inspired, inerrant, infallible, powerful, sufficient Word of God that the body might be um, built up. So the body can learn to build one another up. It's interesting that though... Preaching is unto edifying, teaching is unto edifying. In this passage, the teaching happens so that you can grab it and then edify one another with it. Whatever is proclaimed from the pulpit, whatever is taught in Sunday school, whatever is taught in the night, the congregation takes and then edifies one another with, with it at that point. And that's why Paul then encourages and exhorts and commands and puts timid Timothy under a oath in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, to preach the word. To do it in season, not a season. To do it's convenient when it's not convenient. Because that is the power of God to change people. And that's the very model of ministry followed by Paul in Ephesus. Remember when he talked to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20? He says, I gave you everything I had. I did not feel daily with tears in public and in private giving you the whole counsel of God. That's how he ministered there for the years that he was a pastor in Ephesus. And that's the model that we are to follow here. And when Paul talks about the pastor-teacher teaching so that the, the saints can be equipped to grab that, that teaching and then build each other up, he didn't mean listen to a podcast. He didn't mean listen to an online sermon. Though those things are good and profitable, you should do them. He meant be with God's people in God's house. Listen to the ones appointed to be your shepherds. Learn together with the saints. There's something mystical that happens when we are gathered together the church of God, hearing the word of God proclaimed, that enables us to build each other up. That's what Paul had in mind when he, had here, he, he gave us this word. People say, Oh, don't you think that if Paul was here today, he wouldn't be preaching live on Facebook or have a live stream? I don't think so. Remember, Christ came when he came because he chose to come at that time. He could have come at this time with the, the current technology, but he didn't. He came at that time, in the time where the physical presence was important. And I think we miss that. We miss that Christ would have come any time he wanted. And he chose a time that for the propagation of the gospel, the physical presence of, was, was of utmost importance. And that has to register with us. The building of each other up. 
the, there's a physicality to it that has to be there as well. So in order for the shepherd teacher, the pastor teacher, to equip the saints, the saints must be present. If you were to look at Hebrews chapter 10, starting verse 19 all the way to verse 25, and see the three letters that are there, you would see that they cannot practice those three letters that are essential for our persevering in the Lord without being in each other's lives. Uh, and I encourage you maybe later on today to look at that. Look at Hebrews 10, start at verse 19 through 25. Look at the three letters and try to figure out how you're going to do that without being in people's lives in some way. How are you going to build them up so that they can arrive at the end? Any questions before we continue? Okay, so how, what's the goal of equipping? What is, what is that the people are being equipped for? As we saw earlier, the saints are to be equipped to do two things. And these two things encompass all of life and community. The saints are to be equipped so that they can do the work of the ministry. And again, the word ministry just means service. At its most basic level, it just means service. Another, um, the same Greek lexicon says that ministry is to render assistance or help by performing duties often of a humble or menial nature. That's the basic meaning of the word ministry. To serve. Simply put, the preached and taught word of God equips the church to service. It would be nice if there was a list of what those services are. It would be nice that we had a checklist. Okay, if we do all these things, we're fulfilling what uh, God calls us to do. But it doesn't, God, the Bible nowhere gives a list of the, those services that we do to equip and to build each other up. And that was by, on purpose. Because the only thing that limits our way of building each other up is the Word of God and our imaginations. Our creativity. Anything that is consistent with the moral law of God can be a work of service. Think of the Ten Commandments as the boundary of the park that God put us in, and anything in that park is fair game as far as building each other up, as long as it's agreeable to the Word of God. So discipleship is not just you standing in front of somebody with your Bible open, reading the Bible to them. It takes all kinds of looks and ways as long as centered on what God says. And one element that's part of this work of ministry, this work of service, is the physicality of it. It's work done in and to flesh and blood. But it's a physicality with a spiritual purpose, the growth in Christ of those around us. And that's why the Bible often uses this word to describe all ministries, because all ministry is done in connection with the physical world. Are you following me when I, talk, when I talk about the physicality of our spiritual ministry? We're not ministering to floaty souls playing harps in heaven. We're ministering to people that have flesh and body. that are Some not as tough, some are a little more fluffy than others, but they're physical aspect to us. And we can't really do discipleship without the, the, that physicality. The involvement with one another in one way or 
another. Paul tells us, as, as, as he talks about discipleship, he tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, and uphold the weak, be patient with all. You see how there's a relationship, a relational aspect in each one of those things? See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Paul says here, help the lazy to see that, what, that they need to work. That's the first thing. Warn those who are unruly. The unruly is the lazy that just wanted to talk about stuff but never work. Paul says, come along them and help them see that they need to work. You can't do that without having some sort of relationship with a person. He says, he says, put your arm around the discouraged ones. That's the idea where he says, uh, uh, comfort the faint-hearted. Put, put your arm around the ones that are um, discouraged, literally or, or figuratively, but there's that relational aspect of discipleship. He also says, make sure that, um, help the weak stand up, right? Where he says, uh, uphold the weak the word weak is actually the word feeble need. You know, the one that, that the picture is somebody whose knees are knocking, as it were. Or perhaps somebody who, when they get, when they get a really bad piece of news, that their knees buckle and they're going down and you come alongside to support them. In the spiritual realm, that's what Paul is talking about. Yeah, and just notice how... How all the imagery he's using is very physical, very, very relational. That has to be there. And then he also says, as you minister to another, make sure that justice prevails. No, see, no one renders evil for evil to anyone, and so on. And then he says, be patient with all. The governing thing is being patient, bearing. That's the idea of bearing with one another. As we disciple one another, we bear with one another. At the end of the day, as I said, only our creativity or the lack of it will limit what these works of service are that we're to do to build up the body of Christ, to minister, to disciple one another. And important that we shouldn't think of these as services that the church as an organization should necessarily be creating for every member to do. The church is not the one in charge of creating the opportunities for the people to serve one another. Remember, the pastor says, the pastor teacher equips the saint, and then the saints do the work of the ministry and unto the building of the body of Christ. Though the church should find ways to engage its members in service, the members should not hide behind the, the, the church didn't give me anything to do excuse as far as serving one another. Are you with me on that? Do you understand what I'm saying here? Any questions before we continue? All right, so these works, these services, unite the least and the greatest together. The, the pinky toe to the ear, the nose uh, to the knee, as, as, body, as Paul talks about the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12, are brought together as we build one another up. In, disciple, in discipleship. And as a result of hearing the inspired word of God taught and preached, we do that. So, this is, so you can see how the Lord's Day is essential to the building up of the church, discipleship, 
because it's the result of the, hearing the word of God proclaim that this happens. And I really wanted to emphasize this. The whole church, not just the elders, is responsible for the growth of everyone in the church. In verse 16, Paul says, From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective work of which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. It is the whole church doing this. So let me put a challenge to you right now. And you might be upset with me or not, but if your Christian life is summarized by you being here on church on Sunday, and then afterwards you have no intent or you never tried to minister to anybody else in the church, you are the anchor. You are the anchor holding the church back from growing truth and, and love. So if you, oh man, the elders, the pastor, whatever, look at yourself. How have you ministered to the people outside of being present for the preaching and teaching of God's word? How have you practiced Ephesians 4? If you can't figure that out, then it's time to repent and then be obedient to the Lord and be involved in the building up of the body of Christ so that you can grow to be mature in Christ. God, that's the goal in verse 13, that the whole church be mature in Christ. And that mature is described as instability and truthfulness in verse 14 and 15. As we minister to one another, we will be established in right doctrine. And that's the goal. Immaturity is unstable following whatever the theological flavor of the month is. Today goes this way, tomorrow goes another way. And notice that maturity involves the whole person. It's not simply a matter of knowledge. It's a matter of practice as well, as we are built up to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we understand that, I hope you understand that an immature Christian who has been Christian for a while is guilty of sin. Immaturity, when you should be mature, is sin. If you want to understand more of that, come to our Wednesday night um, study that we just started this past Wednesday where we're talking about spiritual discernment. Immaturity is not neutral. It's not, immaturity makes you go backwards, not forward. And Paul ends by saying that we build each other by speaking the truth in love. There's a lot more to this later on in the chapter. But to speak the truth in love is to speak with the good of the other person in mind. And the primary way we build others up is through our speaking to and with them. In verse 29 of the same chapter, Paul says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. We are to speak to people, and they are to be closer to Christ because we spoke to them. Grace is imparted. Truth is imparted. Love is imparted as we do that. Any questions or comments? So, 
as the saints do these two things, serve each other and build each other up, the very things that they are equipped to do by the preaching and teaching of the whole Bible, the whole Bible, the whole body of Christ matures. But everybody needs to be doing their part in order for the church to grow healthily in the image of Jesus Christ. So let me challenge you this. How are you going to serve someone in the church this week? I want you to think about that. You don't have to say it aloud. How are you going to serve church? Uh, how are you going to serve someone in the church this week? If you're convicted that this lesson is from the Word of God, that what I said is consistent with the Bible. Remember what Jesus said about the wise builder and the foolish builder. Remember in, in, in the end of the Sermon on the Mount, as he's bringing the sermon to conclusion in Matthew chapter 7, he says that the, uh, the, the person who hears my word and does them is like the wise builder who builds his house on a rock and when the storms of life hits them, the house doesn't come down. So we're not just here sitting to hearing a, a lesson and say, oh, great lesson and go and forget all about it. You know, James talks about we often standing before the word of God as a mirror and you see us as we are, but then we walk away from it and forget completely what we saw on that mirror. I hope that's not us here today. So how are you going this week minister to somebody to the building up of the body of Christ? Disciple them in that way this week. How are you going to build up the body of Christ this week? Think about it. And then put in practice. Because the, the faithful follower of Jesus Christ, the one who hears and then does what God calls them to do. Any questions about anything that was said here today? All right, so be on record. Let it be on the record of the Persians and the Medes that we're finishing this series 10 minutes early at 10.30. So let's pray. Father, heaven, thank you that you're good to us. We thank you for your church. We pray that we all would be ministering to one another, discipling one another, be involved in the maturing of the body of Christ, that we might persevere to the end. Father, we pray to grant us repentance where repentance needs to, to happen. We pray to help us to be faithful hearers and doers of your word. We're asking in Jesus' name. Amen.